but tonight we're going to talk about living living the righteous life I hope I hope that this study has challenged you as much as it's challenged me uh, when Jerry first started the Beatitudes and I started reading this book there's so much there's so many challenges in here I mean that the very first day I was struck by how powerful this text is you know what it really means I hadn't looked at the Beatitudes in a long time but I hope I hope it's meant as much to you you know as it's meant to me so tonight we're talking about the righteous life righteous life and basically in my vernacular doing life in the presence of God that's what I call it doing life in the presence of God Christian living Christian living in this world in the presence of God so this is the good this is the bad this is the ugly all of those things in God's presence living in God's presence and obviously when we talk about Christian living we're talking about being actively submit active submission that we're being submissive to God Jesus Christ every day and that we have our entire dependence that we place our entire dependence upon him so this lesson is really a practical practical lesson a practical life lesson this is talking about religious life religious life things Jesus is going to be teaching us here things that affect our direct relationship to God he's going to teach us about these things that directly impact our relationship to him and here's one of the key points if you take nothing away from what we talked about tonight this is one of the key points everything happens in God's presence in the Christian walk the Christian life the Christian living doing life it's all in the presence of God I don't know how many times I've heard Jerry talk about that we're travelers that we're journeymen because our, our home is not here right our home is not here our home is in heaven that we're a journeyman so let's start out let's go to John this is our first text for tonight John chapter 2 excuse me first John chapter 2 I want us to read a couple of these verses and this will kind of get us going first John chapter 2 verse 15 through 17 who wants to read for me anybody 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Um, Who's got it? I got it. Go ahead, Sam. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this, this verse is very straightforward, but when you think about righteous living, Christian living, we've heard this a lot of times, that we're supposed to be in the world, in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. The text says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is very straightforward. Very straightforward. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So this verse tells us really clearly that we're to be in the world, but we're to be separate, not of the world. Okay? Now let's go to John chapter 17. This is John chapter 17. This is the next verse. John chapter 17, verse 15. Mark, read John. John chapter 17 verse 15 through 17 alright now listen this is Jesus' prayer this is Jesus and listen to what he prays here this is very important because this is setting the stage for what he's talking about in Matthew chapter 6 okay he's praying before he goes to the cross I think this is the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying listen to what he says here John Dillard you got it Pray to the same God. Sometimes we might pray 
ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Thank you, John. So, so, so it says, I pray that you would not take them out of the world. Them is the believer. So Jesus is talking to God the Father, and he's saying, he's making this prayer, and he's saying, I pray to you, God the Father, that you not take believers out of the world. Don't take us out of the world, but he says, keep us from evil. Keep us from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not in the world. What does that mean? So if we're in the world, Jesus is saying that we're not of the world, that means we have a special relationship, doesn't it? It means you're headed somewhere else, to heaven. That's right, right. So it says now, this is not now, today, January the 8th, this is not our home. But yet, it, temporarily, it is our home. So there's a, con there's a rub here. There's a conflict. But Jesus is telling us that we're not, that we don't belong. We don't belong as others do. This is a big deal. I wish I could get this through to my girls. We don't belong like other people belong because we're believers. We see the world differently. We have a unique relationship with God the Father that other people don't have. And when they don't have that relationship, they don't see things the way we see things. They don't understand the way we understand. The wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives us, they don't necessarily, or they don't have at all. Now that's hard for me to imagine that there's people that I'm working beside that have no concept of godly wisdom, but they don't. If they're not a believer, they have no concept of it. So we don't belong as others do, we're different. We're different, and we're supposed to be different, okay? That being said, now what do we do? Because the fact is that we're here, and the world does stuff to us, right? We can't ignore. We have to walk through it. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We have to walk through, we have to go through this life. So we're here. So what does this mean? That Jesus is going to give us instructions on how to do this when it comes to righteous living. Jesus is going to tell us how to do this. You know, the Christian life in general, it's pretty easy, right? Well. Just making sure y'all are awake. It's not easy, right? No. It's beset with what? We've got problems. We've got pitfalls. We've got all kinds of snares disappointments don't we mm -hmm. we have disappointments we have all these things that's the Christian life and the Christian the Christian is living life among other people you know I had a person say to me not too long ago he said this life would be pretty nice if it were not for the people <laughs> you ever heard that you, you guys that are in business business would be a lot of fun if it were not for your clients <laughs> right there's a lot of truth to that there's a lot of truth to that now the author of the book that we're studying Lloyd Jones I'm just going to tell you let's get this going up front maybe he says maybe this is one of the most uncomfortable passages in the entire scripture Lloyd Jones the author of the book says that what we're getting ready to talk about may be one of the most uncomfortable passages in all of scripture Wow. Why is that the case? Because it probes us. It examines us. It will not let us escape. The text we're getting ready to really read will not let us escape. He says that there's no chapter, there may be no chapter in the Bible that's more calculated to promote self-humbling and humiliation than what we're getting ready to read. Wow. When I first read this, I said, Jerry, you got to come back and teach this one, right? But he's saying, so he's giving us a warning here. He's saying this is a very challenging topic. If we really search and really want to understand what Jesus is trying to tell us, that this is a very challenging, very challenging chapter. You know, when we looked at knowing ourselves, the Bible talks about knowing ourselves, this should make us anxious. It should give us some anxiety. 
because basically what's happening is the Bible is holding up a mirror and we take that mirror and we and that mirror shows us who we are as God sees us so when we look in that mirror we're not seeing what we want Lily to see she sees this jeans shirt shoes but that mirror when we look in that mirror and we and it looks back at us it shows us for who we really are and it examines us and it probes us it makes it really uncomfortable now the natural guy the natural man out there the non-believer he thinks he's got this down pat right he thinks he knows who he is and he'll tell you with conviction that he thinks he's he knows but you know, when we should be anxious when we try to learn about ourselves and our, our relationship with God. We should be anxious because to know is painful. It's painful. When we really understand who we are and, we, and that's held up in front of Christ and His righteousness, it's painful. It's very because we see our sin. We see how corrupt we are. We see our heart, the darkness of our heart, our attitudes. We see ourselves exactly as we are. Exactly as we are. I was at a restaurant one day this last week, and a guy said, hey, Don, how you doing? And I said, well, better than I deserve. You've heard people say that, right? How you doing? Better than I deserve. And he, and he goes, oh, I doubt that. And I thought to myself, wow. I was thinking one way, he was thinking another. But it's good, it's good for us to feel this way because when we realize this, what happens? When we realize, when we look in that mirror and it looks back at us and we see what we really look like in the presence of God, what happens? Well, we get convicted. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And then what do we do? We run to Christ because we really don't have any other alternative but to go to Christ. So we run, we fly to Christ and we realize how much we need him. Okay, so you ready to get started? That's just the first part. That's just a preamble. Let's read a couple verses. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. I need, I need somebody to read two verses. I need Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, and Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, and then we'll get started. Who's got verse 20? Sam, read where everybody can hear you. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we've we've already studied this, but I want to go back. I want to go back and call this out because basically Jesus is saying that except your righteousness shall not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case, the King James says, no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 is telling us that if our righteousness is not greater than the Pharisees, we have no salvation. Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus is telling the people. He was telling that crowd. He was saying, if, you're, if your righteousness, now if you're a common person in, in that group and you hear that, that's very troubling. It's very troubling because you're thinking, how can I be more righteous than the Pharisees when it comes to righteous living, the righteous life? Because the idea was that they had, they had that market. They knew they were the righteous ones. And if you're a common man, you were left out of that, maybe. Right? It says, but if, you, but if your righteousness, of the, if it does not exceed, so if your righteousness is not more than the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall by no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, file that away. Chapter 5, verse 48. Who's got that one? Chapter 5, verse 48. Sam, go ahead. Uh, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, this verse is easy. What did what, what Christ just tell us? He's got to be perfect. He tells us to be perfect. You know, this is, that verse makes me think. Jesus knew that we could never be perfect but what he's doing here, if you notice, when he, you remember what I said earlier? Is this text that we're getting ready to read 
is one of the most challenging because it really draws us to, we have to humble ourselves, we have to submit. Yeah, he knew, and he knew he was the solution, but he was wanting them to realize it. He was holding up that mirror to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he said, take a look, right? Take a look, you gotta be perfect as your Father which is in heaven. All right, so we got those two verses. All right, so let's talk about the religious life, the righteous life. In Matthew chapter 6, what happens is Jesus sets out a principle. He lays down a, a general principle that governs our religious life. And when I mean religious life, I'm talking about, you know, the verse we're going to read. Well, I'll tell you what, let's just read it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. This is from the King James. It says, Take heed that you do not do your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what the right hand doeth. Hmm. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Reward thee openly. So the general principle here, Jesus is going to define this general principle, and he gets into three illustrations. He uses alms, he uses prayer life, and he uses fasting. Now Lloyd-Jones basically says that when it comes to righteous living, when you say alms, what does this mean? Money. Alms. Righteous acts. Most people will define alms as as righteous acts. That's a very broad term. A righteous act could be what? Praying for someone. A righteous act could be giving resources to the church. A righteous act could be sharing your faith. All those different things come into righteous living, righteous to alms. He also talks about praying, which is your contact with God the Father. And he talks about fasting which we've already talked about, which is mortifying the flesh. So it gets into those three examples, okay? All right, so let's go to chapter 6, verse 1, and let's get, let's get into it. It says, Take heed that you do not do your alms before men, to be seen of them, otherwise you will have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. This seems to be fairly straightforward, Right? But there's a problem here. It says, take heed that you do not do your alms, your righteous acts, before men. How do, we, how do we do that? How do we not do the righteous acts before men? It seems like a contradiction, right? Isn't the Bible basically contradicting itself? Because earlier it said what? It talks about letting your light shine before men. Let's go to Matthew. Look back at chapter 5. Look at verse 15 and 16. Matthew 5, 15 and 16. It seems like Jesus is, is conflicting. Okay, let's see. Matthew 5, 15 and 16. And over here, So it looks like we have a contradiction. And you'll see why. So let's read Matthew chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. It says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So what, what is that verse telling us to do? That verse is telling us to let our light shine. That if Christ lives in our heart, we're supposed to display what? Righteous living. We're supposed to be doing righteous acts. All right, what's the difference between that and what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1? What's the difference? Or is there a difference? Are you tracking with me? It seems like this, this is not the same verse. If you look at chapter 6, it says, Take heed, do not do your alms before men. So over here it's saying, let your light shine. And over here it's saying, but don't do it before in front of men. 
What's the difference? What's he really saying here? What's at issue? How do we reconcile those two commandments? Would you agree that he's saying to let our light shine? Would you agree that he's saying let your light shine? Right? But in chapter 6 verse 1 he's saying but don't do your righteous acts in front of men. How do we reconcile that? Don't do it as a doing as a, as a show off that oh look how good I am helping this older lady cross the street or something. But uh, when you do it with your heart you don't even have to have an audience. You just do it uh, because the Lord says so and because he wants to do what he says. Now you're, you're tracking. So over here in Matthew chapter 15 he says let your light shine. Over here in Matthew chapter 6 he says but don't do it in front of men. And what I'm asking you is how we reconcile. How we reconcile those two scriptures. John? I think John comes down to to who gets the glory. Oh! So John raises a very interesting point. And his point is motive. Where's more motive? Motive. Where's more motive? I think in uh, uh, Matthew 6 and 16, it's your life, it's your natural uh, essence of who you are. It's your spirit, it's truth, it's honesty. You should have a Christian life because of the way you live your life. I think in the other example in Matthew, uh, uh, the first verse there, and the rest of those verses, it's, it's what we might call putting on the dog, or, or, or trying to be a behave in a way that that, uh, that uh, puts you in a good light, doing it for the sake of glory for yourself. I think two clear differences there. Very two very different passages, right? So, but but here's the problem: What did God command us to do? What did Christ teach us to do. He said, let your light shine. You agree? But he also said, don't do your alms in front of men. How do we do that? Well, How do we do both of those? Where do you point your light? You point it at yourself or you point it at God? Oh. Oh, man. He raises a good point here because he's talking about self. He's talking about self. So, yes, we're supposed to let our light shine. And yes, we're supposed to do it not before men, and how do we do that? Well, that's what Jesus is going to tell us how to do it. Notice, basically in chapter 5, verse 15, as John said, the glory goes to God. Let's go back and look at that text. Chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. It says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Good works and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. As opposed to Matthew chapter 6 verse 1, take heed that you do, your, do not do your alms before men. Why? To be seen of them. To be seen of them. Okay? So who are you really trying to please? There's no contradiction here. There's no contradiction. A lot of people get really crossed up with this, but there's no contradiction. We are to be doing both at the same time. Okay. Which implies what? Balance. Balance. I think that's one of the most difficult things in life is trying to stay balanced. You agree? Balance is hard. And it seems like the older I get, it seems like the more difficult it is because there's more things to balance. You've got your relationship with your wife, you've got your job, you've got your church, you've got your Sunday school class, you've got choir, you've got Awana, team kids, you've got all these different things you get up in there and you have to try to balance all that. Right, you've got to balance it all. But it can be done because it needs to be powered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to get that balance, okay? So basically, what am I saying? That we need to attract attention. Lloyd Jones is saying that we need to attract attention to the Christian life, but not attracting attention to self. I think John mentioned that. We're attracting people to the Christian life, our joy, our hope, our inheritance, our relationship with God, 
But you don't want them to look at you. You want them to see God, Jesus Christ, through you, through the way you're living your life. Okay? So there's a couple small principles. Now, that's the basic principle. But there's a couple other principles because we, we go right into that right after verse 1. Because in verse 2 of chapter 6, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. So the second principle that Jesus is, in, is introducing here is one of choice. He's saying you have a choice that you can try to live righteous one of two ways. You can please yourself or you can please men or you can please God. And you have a choice to make. Right? And he's saying that is the ultimate choice. That you can either please men or please God but you can't do both. You can't do both. Big choice. That is the ultimate choice. The motive. So when we try to please men and if we're all, you know, we hold up that mirror and we, and we look in the mirror and we see ourselves, we know that we try to please people. We try to please people, whether we're at work, whether it's on the sports field, wherever it is, in the choir, we try to please people. We try to please others, right? We're natural pleasing. And what happens when we please somebody? If I make Lily happy and she compliments me, I'm trying to make her happy, right? Not really. I want her to compliment me. You're doing it for your own benefit. For my own benefit. Exactly. For my own benefit. So if we try to please men, what we're really trying to do, our real desire is to please ourselves. Okay? Have to be real, real careful of that. Jesus says you got a choice to make. Gratification of self, which brings in sin. The desire to praise of the the desire for the praise of men versus the praise of God. Which do we really want? Isn't that convicting? I told you this chapter is going to be tough. They gave us a heads up. What say what may seem to be selfless, what may seem to be selfless may in its of itself may be a subtle form of being selfish. You have to think about that one for a minute. Some people act real humble. They don't want your name mentioned. But they're telling, don't mention my name, Sam. Don't let anybody know that I gave you this money. Okay. Right? So what I may be doing is really promoting my own selfless, my selfishness by trying, by showing him an act of humility. See, God sees the heart. God sees the heart. It's very important. We have to decide. There's another principle, and this is probably the most key of all. This is probably the most key to this whole lesson. This is it right here. We have to realize when we talk about righteous life, doing life in general, that we have to understand it's in the full presence of God. Everything we do, when we get up, what we say, our motives, our attitudes, all of these things God sees, right? Very important. So our aim as believers in righteous living is, to, is what? Is to please God. That should be our objective, is to please God. To do what God wants us to do. To do church at Crab Apple the way God wants us to do church at Crab Apple. You know? David made this mistake. You remember the Old Testament story about David when they're bringing the ark in? You remember that story? They brought the, they were bringing the ark over back to Jerusalem, and the young man reached up and he touched the ark, and God struck him dead, yeah. and David got mad. He was upset with God, and he said he didn't talk to God all day. What was David's problem here? He was doing something that he, I mean, he really. Meant, he, had, he meant well. He had good intentions. What he was doing to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. But there was a real problem. And that problem was what? He wasn't transporting the ark the way God told him and had given him instructions on how to transport the ark. David was doing it the way David thought was best. And when the man reached up to steady the ark, 
And it, and it should. God struck him dead, and David didn't understand. David didn't understand. So the man was killed because, well, I mean, the man's intention was not to let the ark fall. Yeah. But why was it um, wrong in the eyes of the Lord? And that's it was that David. David's done. motives were, David was doing it the way he felt was the right way to transport the ark. God had given him clear instructions on how the ark, because God's presence was in the ark. Right? Gave him clear instructions on how to transport and he didn't do it. And there's consequences. Right? God paid for you come in the presence of a holy God, it's a fearful thing, right? The Bible says that. Very it's very it's a fascinating story. I think it's in numbers. Though even sometimes innocent people can pay for our mistakes. That's right. Like Exactly. So our aim, our aim should be to please God and Him only. In what? In some things? In all things. That our aim should be to please God in all things. So then, when we have this conflict in life, enter Jesus Christ. Because he's going to tell us by his life. If you notice, if you look back at Jesus' life, everything he did was entirely for God. Everything. I, you know, when the verse said that, I got to thinking about all the things that Jesus did. And everything he did was for the will of God, for the will of the Father. Where he went, lessons that he taught, sermons that he, that he spoke, all these different things, right? The words of the Father. He gave the words of the Father. The will of the Father. To the glory of the Father. All these things he did for God the Father. He seemed sometimes, you know, he seemed sometimes wanting to hide. Did you ever see any of those verses where he went away? He wanted to get away from the crowd. He wanted to get away from all that hustle and bustle. And he would go, he'd want to hide. But instead of hiding, it was just the opposite. People says, where's Jesus? So even though he was trying to move away, the crowds were saying, where's Jesus? Where's Christ? The opposite took place. But he was always, always, always in the presence of God. He was always in his sight. Every action, every deed, everywhere, God knows our heart. Now, if that's not convicting, if that's not holding up that mirror, then we have a problem. Wouldn't you agree? Because he's holding it up. He says, God knows your heart. God knows your heart. Now, I want to show you a great verse. I don't know. Who's, has anybody got the book with them tonight? Has anybody got the book with them? No? I want, you to, I want you to listen to something. I want you to just listen as I read this. This is incredibly powerful. Because Lloyd-Jones, he's saying that if we did this, that it would revolutionize our spiritual walk. It would revolutionize our Sunday school class. It would revolutionize our relationships. It would revolutionize our church. Listen to what he says here. He says, throughout the whole of this day, he says we should wake up in the morning and say this to ourselves. That we should wake up in the morning, we should immediately remind ourselves and, re and recollect, recollect that we are in the presence of God. So the minute we wake up, we say we're in the presence of God. Until the minute we go to sleep, we're in the presence of God. Okay? He says throughout the whole this day, everything I do, everything I say, everything I attempt, everything I think, Everything I imagine is going to be done under the eye of God. And we should just stop right there. Everything is done under the eye of God. Isn't this convicting? Man, this was killing me. But it was revolution. It, it really changes the way you think about what you do in traffic. And how do you how do you conduct when somebody gets out of line or they do something to you at work? Or in your neighborhood, do they try to burn down your, your house, whatever? Makes you think, right? Under the eye of God. He is going to be with me. He sees everything. He knows everything. There is nothing I can do or attempt, but God is fully aware of it all. He's fully aware of everything that goes on around us. God what? Sees you. He sees us. Every day. Every moment. 
And he says that it, that would revolution our lives. It would revolution our lives if we did that. The words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart might be pleasing to you. Right? That's what he's talking about here. I thought that was incredibly powerful. Every day if we did that, how our lives would change, right? So I think that would be a great New Year's resolution that we write that one up on our board somewhere. Throughout the whole of this day, everything I do, say, attempt, think, imagine, is going to be done under the eye of God. He's going to be with me. He sees everything. He knows everything. There is nothing I can do or attempt, but God is fully aware of it all. Wow, it's pretty incredible. Okay. The last part, let's see, where, where, where do we get to? I'm losing my place here. We got verse 1 and 2. Let's see. So in verse 4, it says that thine alms, this is chapter 6, verse 4, that thine alms, the righteous acts, may be in secret. May be in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. What's he telling us to do? Are we supposed to worship in secret? Answer. Yes. Not always. But we're to be worship in secret. Our quiet times. Are we supposed to pray just when we come to church? No. Are we to fast and tell everybody about it? No. It's not important. If I'm fasting, that's not important for you to know. That fasting is based on what I'm doing. That I'm trying to be more righteous. Right? But he's saying that we should worship how? It starts in secret. And when you think about this, this makes a whole lot of sense. You know why? Because he's a personal God. It's a relationship that we have with him. And he's saying instead of us trying to show off in front of everybody out there, that we start, that we need to worship in secret. Why? Because it's just between you and God. It's just between you and God, right? Yeah. Why else? What does he say in here? Why else do we do it in secret? God bless him. <laughs> verse 4 has got the answer. I'm not going to tell you. You've got to look at verse 4. Why do we do it in secret? Chapter 6, verse 4. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. John, say what? Your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Will reward you? Are we going to have rewards? Are we going to have rewards? Who's going to reward us for the Christian life, for righteous living? God is, right? Because we're all going to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to judge the good and the bad. And rewards are going to be given. Right? So when we worship in secret, he is saying here that that's how he's going to reward. That the alms may be in secret. The Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward you openly. Do we have to keep track of it? No. Where does it keep? Who keeps track of it? All the little things you do, Sam. All the little things that nobody sees but you. Maybe you help a lady across the street. Maybe you pray for somebody that they don't even know you're praying for them. Who keeps track of all that stuff? Who keeps the books? God does. We don't have to keep the books. We don't have to worry about it. Right? He keeps the books. Are, reward, are, are God's rewards bad? No. No. It says there, it's, it, it's okay. The Bible says it's okay to receive his rewards those things which are right in God's eyes and what's our motive what's our motive and our motivation to receive re, receive rewards from God what's our motivation it should be holiness that's what it should be not self-centered it should be holiness but the Bible clearly tells us that if we seek rewards from man what's going to happen we're probably going to get them but that's all we're going to get. God said, if you seek rewards from man, you might get those, but you know what? I've got nothing for you. So we have that choice. We can seek rewards from man, 
and get the accolades on this journey that we're on, or we can seek the rewards that God presents and he wants us to have, and then he will give those to us. He will openly give those to us at his appointed time. So if we seek men, that's what we get. That's all we get. Very interesting lesson. Okay, all right, so here's how I want to finish up. Here's how I want to finish up. This is fun. We talked about a lot of stuff tonight. Practically speaking, living the righteous life. What's a wrong way? What is a way that we're not supposed to do it? The wrong way. What's something that we should not do with righteous living? If we're trying to show Christ to other people, what is something we should not do? For our own glory. I'm sorry? Do things for our own glory. How about announce it? We should not announce it. What's an example of that? The wrong way is to announce it. Excuse me. The wrong way is to announce it. Can you think of an example of that? That we're announcing our righteous living. Anytime you say hi. Anytime you say hi. Woo! Anytime you say hi. Oh, I prayed for Lily. I did it. I prayed for Lily. I prayed hard for Lily. I prayed all afternoon for Lily. It makes you think I'm praying for Lily. You know what? I'm trying to get somebody to please me. Self-gratification. What's another wrong way to do it? Wrong way. Praise for man. Boy, that James, man, he prays all the time, studies his Bible. That John Dillard, he knows more Bible verses. That guy could give me Bible verses all afternoon. Right? We're praising. The wrong way is to praise. If you say that to John Dillard, John's going to give you a Bible verse back. And it's probably going to make you feel real uncomfortable. Right? So that's another wrong way to do it. We don't want to announce it. We don't want praise of other men. What else? How about this statement? Man, I thank God I'm not like that. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody say that? That's the Pharisee. The Pharisee said it. Yes. Right in front of the publican. He said, thank God I'm not like that. He dropped his money in the thing and it made all the racket. He said, I thank God I'm not like that guy over there. I fast twice a week and all that. All that stuff, right? We laugh at that. We laugh at that. But do we really, do we say that in our hearts about people? Yeah. Man, I'm glad I'm not like those Jehovah's Witnesses. Woo! I'm glad I'm not a Mormon. <laughs> do we say stuff? We probably do. Right? Pride of self. Pride of self. All right. You know, I really believe John that it's, it's the word pride is the the thing that the Lord affords the most. Yes. Pride. Yes. Why is that? You know, it brought Satan down. Well, it, it puts us in number one position. Mm -hmm. We put our name right there. Pride is a form of idolatry. Yeah. Okay. Enough of this. How we should do it. Tell me how we should do it. What'd you learn tonight as far as how we should do righteous living? Come on, you gotta get this one right. How should behind we do scenes, righteous living? Behind the scenes. Huh? Behind the scenes. By yourself. Secret. Isn't that interesting? <coughs> in secret. Jesus says you gotta do it secret. You gotta do it in yourself, in your heart. Just you. Just you. You and him. Praying, yes, sir. Another one, I uh, don't care about what people think or like do it for his glory. Kind of is the gist of that. That's a great example. I don't really care what people think, I'm doing it for God's glory. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't really care what people think. 
I'm doing it for God's glory. You think that person really doesn't care? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. So we have to worship our alms, our righteous acts, in secret. There was a man that used to go to this church. And you would know, some of you would know who it is if I told you it was. And every Christmas time, he would come down to the office and he would bring some envelopes with him with no names on them. And he would come up to Jerry and he would say, Jerry, I want you to help these families. But inside that envelope was a monetary amount that was untraceable back to him. And he said, I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing. Only you. Jerry knew the family. The families didn't know who it came from. Jerry would just walk up and give them and say, hey, we got a congregational member that wants to do a, a good deed for you. Will you accept it? And this guy did that year after year. And he sat right out there. And most people didn't have a clue what he was doing. And he didn't want them to know. Because what? He was worshiping in secret. But you know what? God knew. God knew exactly what he was doing. And it's the motive of his heart. What else? What's the right way to do it? We do it in secret. What else? Not before men. We do it secret. Not before men. Well, we can take the negative. We're not supposed to announce it. That's almost the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. We don't announce it. We're doing stuff good for people, but we're not announcing it. We're praying to God, and we're saying, we're thanking God that he gives us that resource or that ability to do that. We don't even announce it to ourselves. Now this is where it gets hard because remember it said let your light shine but don't do it in front of men. How do we do that? How do we let our light shine but we don't do it in front of men? How's that possible? Tactically speaking, how do we do that? We keep our focus and our attention and the motivation is on Christ. We don't try to remember what we've done. We don't try to keep track of what we've done for other people. We just go do it. And we continually do it. And what happens when we do that? People see Christ through you, through us, through our actions. They don't question your motivation. They say, gosh, there's something different about that guy. Something different about him. Why is he doing this stuff? Never complains. Always available. Just an honest, down-to-earth guy, right? So, the last part I would say here is that we don't keep... Don't keep track. That is huge. You ever met people in a church and they walk up to you and they're like, oh, nice to meet you. You ever met anybody like that? And you're like, wow. Well, I'm chairman of the deacons. Or I'm on the board of elders. Or I'm the associate pastor. And those things just go right over our head, right? People say that because that's a title. But what I say earlier, the most important thing about this lesson, everything, 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 even on Sunday morning, even on Sunday morning, is done in the presence of God. He knows the heart. He knows the heart. Okay? So we don't have to keep track. He does that for us. He keeps the books. And you know what about those books? This is good and this is not so good. There's no mistakes. No errors. Those books don't need to be audited. Those books are right. 
okay? And we don't have to worry about keeping track, okay? So what do you take away from this? Living the righteous life, doing life. Doing life is hard. But he's telling us that we have to do everything. Let me read this to you one more time. It is not a bad thing to say to ourselves before we go any further. Throughout the whole of this day, everything I do, everything I say, everything I attempt, everything I think, everything I imagine is going to be done under the eye of God. Under the eye of God. I'm not saying that for us to feel the heaviness of God. It's just the fact that he knows our heart. We're going to falter. We're going to fall. He's going to, we ask forgiveness. He's going to forgive us. But he knows our motivation. He knows our motivation. It's all God. What do you think? He knows even when we blow it. Because we, we did it because we were clueless. He understands that you blew it because he just didn't even understand what you were doing. Or when it's malice, right? I want to challenge all of you. Just do this for a couple of days. When you get up in the morning, tell yourself, when you wake up, I'm under the eye of God. God's going to know what I do. He's going to know what I think. And it's not about when we're in front of all of you. It's when we're at home. It's when we're on the golf, the ball field, the golf course, the tennis court, the gym, at lunch, all those different places when we're by ourselves. He knows. He knows. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it would revolutionize our church. Interesting. If we approached everything that way. Let's close with prayer and we'll be done. Father, thank you for this time, for your lesson. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would be with each and every one of us, Father, that we would learn to love you with all of our hearts with our minds and with our strength that you would give us that spirit give us that heart Lord we ask all these things in Jesus name we pray Amen, Amen. Thank, you, Lord. thank you all